Uh, hello, comrades, spies, Twitter posters. Um, this is your Highlands Bunker for this week. We are uh, in the shadow of Rockford Tower. Uh, we're behind enemy lines. We're in the belly of the beast. Um, we're destroying the Delaware Way, and we're looking for some uh, some justice and equitable treatment and uh, and peace around here. Um, I'm really kind of pumped up tonight. Uh, just by a coincidence, uh, we had a phone bank here for uh, Jess Grain, and it was just a massive turnout, full blitz here in the bunker. Incredible. So that's happening. Uh, steal yourself to the uh, to the smears and the lies, but, you know, it's happening. We have something really special planned for tonight, but um, before we start, uh, I'd like to kind of frame the conversation sort of like I usually do with some some local stuff and maybe you might have missed it. So I'm going to read a few passages from a, a news journal article uh, from a week ago, December 12th. Brandon Holvick, uh, New Banking Delaware Initiative brings credit union to Route 9 banking desert. For years, the only financial centers for residents living along the Route 9 corridor have been payday lenders and check cashing services. That's about to change. Thanks to a grassroots group working to attract banks to a densely populated community between Southbridge and Old Newcastle. Del One Federal Credit Union has announced plans to open a full service branch in Southbridge and a student operated branch at William Penn High School. On Wednesday, they also debuted an interactive ATM at the Rose Hill Community Center. Concerns about the banking desert along Route 9 uh, Ron Handy and his mentee, Larry Lambert, created the New Banking Delaware Initiative earlier this year. Goes on. Lambert has worked in corporate banking for nine years and is now running for state representative in the 7th District. Handy has lived in the Route 9 corridor his entire life and spent the last 25 years working for the Boys and Girls Club of Delaware. Together, they formed the New Banking Delaware Initiative after participating in a YMCA program called Dialogue to Action. At monthly meetings at the Route 9 Library, they taught members of the community about the issue while compiling a roster of community supporters, including private businesses, nonprofits, and labor unions. Outside the meeting, they completed risk assessments and transportation studies to demonstrate to banks the need that exists. We're tired of sitting and waiting for a savior that's not going to come, Lambert said. And then at the end, there's a, uh, there's a quote from a local, uh, local guy. Clayton Joyce, a 42-year-old carpenter who has lived in Newcastle since 1996, used to pay fees to cash his checks at liquor stores before finding a bank 20 minutes away. I think the community needs this right now, Joyce told the News Journal. In July, a lot of people spend it when they get it, just practicing saving money and being stable that needs to be introduced. So I, I wanted to read all that to you. Wanted to give a shout out to our friend Larry Lambert, who's a king organizer, uh, an activist. Uh, also to give a shout out to our friend uh, Jakim, who is also involved in that Route 9 quarter uh, sort of organizing. And just to demonstrate things that people miss, Right. You know, somebody's out there creating a nonprofit based on stuff they heard at a community meeting at a library. And 
because of the work that they do, they're able to attract a credit union who is community organ or you know community oriented, and open a bank for people who have, you know, don't have any banking services anywhere to be found. This is how this stuff sort of works, and so this is what this episode is going to be about. So for the end of the year. Uh, we're going to highlight three incredible stories of people who are organizing on the street every day with people to enfranchise them, to get them involved in the community, to get them involved in art, to give them an opportunity just to get themselves on their feet. All of this stuff is happening and it's just fantastic and we want to highlight it. Um, I ran into Erica Gutierrez, our old friend, at uh, Jessica Rain's kickoff uh, about a month ago, and she just started talking about so many um, incredible things that were happening, and so we're going to highlight some of them uh, for you today. So, without further ado, and first off, we have uh, Teresa Emmett. Um, the name of her organization, now correct me if I'm wrong, because there was two. There was uh, For Youth Productions, but yes. then there was something else. That's, that's For it. Youth Productions. Yes, that's it. Okay. Um, I find it interesting because... I love people who use sort of fine art, uh, whether it's music, uh, whether it's writing. I love people who do that, and you particularly do it with photography. Yes. And I, I just, I can see how that um, attracts people to it. So um, tell us a little bit about the group and how you got involved with it. How you sort of what what drew you to this kind of work? Um, I started Four Youth Productions about six years ago. And I was volunteering um, at Thomas Edison Charter School, where we then created after-school programming that included photography and cooking. And I just, I don't know, I just fell in love with kids. I just had so much fun. Like the highlight of my day became just entering Thomas Edison and seeing my group of girls. And I realized though, once they graduated eighth grade, I just didn't know what was gonna happen to them next. I didn't know where they were gonna go. And that made me feel a little bit powerless because I couldn't help them pass that. So with 4 Youth Productions, our kids actually remain with our organization starting in grade school all the way throughout high school. Uh, my first kid, he started with me when he was in third grade before 4 Youth Productions even started. And now he is a freshman in college. And we still talk. <laughs> like, I can't wait till he comes home for Christmas break. So what's the... Um... What are the uh, what's the community like that uh, of the kids that are in the school like where uh, where around are they coming from? What's the sort of um, their background? Where are their parents background like where they come from? Um, so our kids uh, majority of our kids come from the city of Wilmington. We teach at multiple schools. So I teach at Thomas Edison Charter after school programming through our organization and also the first state school, which is a school inside of Christiana Hospital it's for kids who, due to certain medical issues, need more around-the-clock care. Um, and so our kids come from various backgrounds. 
Yeah, and so do so do their parents. I mean, it's hard to pinpoint exactly because each kid has a different story, and that's what I love about For Youth Productions is that we take the time to get to know our students, um, their parents, their families, and become actively involved so that we can grow together. Cool. Yes. So um, specifically, how do you uh, sort of ident- do you identify students who show a particular interest? Um, or uh, is there some other sort of vetting process or sort of open and people can kind of come in and out of it? Um, how does that work? And when, when does that start? Okay. So our students choose us. We don't choose them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And But we do request that our kids stay with us. So I believe that one of the biggest ways you can make a difference in a child's life is through continuity. So we actually want our kids to remain with our program. So, and that's the beauty about staying at the same schools. Um, I've been at Thomas Edison Charter School for close to 10 years and the first state school for close to four years. And that way, I, like I said, you get to know the kids, you get to know their families and their parents, and then only then can I feel like you can really make a difference in their lives. So, uh, how, uh, what, what kind of, uh, what kind of program is? It? Give us some specifics. I mean, when do are they doing sort of uh, a lot of extracurricular stuff? Are they doing a lot of technical stuff with photography? Uh, where's the equipment come from? Like, what's the nuts and bolts? Like, how do you, <laughs> okay. how do you do it? So, I'll give you like our, our elevator pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we teach photography in combination with science, engineering, and culinary art. Uh, so our kids grow both academically and artistically. They then learn to be entrepreneurs by selling their artwork in which 100% of their profits go into the college fund. So, and we have professional-based programs. So only professionals teach the courses. So in our engineering program, I have a computer science engineer teaching our students. Oh, nice. Yes. (laughs) So let me ask you a question. In the dining room down there, when we were walking around, there's there's a photograph that Nurse Susan bought from like a coffee shop during an art, like an art loop. And it's a photograph. The only thing she ever told me was it's a photograph, like a high speed photograph the student took of like a drop of uh, milk going in a, a water glass, but it just looks like a, I'm looking like a mushroom cloud. Was that one of ours? I, I, it sounds the, like one of our pictures. It does sound like one of your it pictures. Does. As you were explaining this, like when you said Can something. I see it? Oh yeah, God, I mean, we can't. We're kind of in the middle of something right now, but eventually we will go down and see it. Yes. Can I show you something? Can you you can like show I'm me so something. Absolutely. Well, it's funny because you were saying, you know, we sort of teach them also, like, that, you know, your art has a value and you can go out and if you do something that's aesthetically pleasing and show it to people, maybe it'll touch them in some yes. way. Um, but you, because of the work you do, just mentioned some of the art we have, some yeah. of the other art we have. But you're saying that. I'm like, you know, no Susan bought that photograph. From, How long ago did she buy it? Uh, I want to say three or four years ago. Was it at Scrumptious? It was at Scrumptious. It's ours. Holy shit. <laughs> and there's a piece of your art. There's a, one of your students' Yay. art pieces in our dining That's room. That's Leo's. That's my kid who's in college now. Fucking right. I love that. <laughs> Uh, You know, that was actually our very first piece of artwork sold. Really? Yes. Oh, no. This is so good. And I know on our Facebook page, if I scroll far enough back, there's a picture of her with it. She did. Now I remember (laughs) she said, I don't, maybe she told me the whole story, but now I remember her going because we do buy some art like at, at stuff like that, but 
like if it's at a show where it's going to be there a week or so we always say just leave it there. like we don't like we'll come get it afterwards they send it to us so she had left it there and she said she went back and they were like they wanted to take a picture with me with the student and i was like <laughs> that sounds pretty cool <laughs> ah that's so great that's amazing well let's do this give us give us like the the website and some information that we can kind of Take a look at the Facebook stuff, and then we'll okay. go down and look at the painting. Okay. Or so the, the photograph. Excuse our me. Facebook is Fourth Productions. Our website, we actually have a new countdown clock because we're in the background rebuilding it, including a store on the website where you can purchase art, and the website will be up in five weeks. There we go. Yes. So in the new year, you'll be able to look at uh, at some of this art too. And buy it. And buy Yes. <laughs> yes. Help us build our college fund. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. You put something up and uh, people look at it. I get comments on it all the time because I have it in a room with like it's all local uh, artists. Everybody's every, they're either friends. I think we know every artist in some fashion in the, that we have in the dining room. Um, but yeah, let's go take a look. At oh, it. that's, that's so cool. cool. Let's go look I want to see it. <laughs> okay. So something like that, um, is that something you're working on like after school and they're just thinking of different things they want to like try? Um, is somebody sort of mentoring them? Where do they come up with something like that? Uh, we like, guide does... them. We guide them. So yeah. our photography directly relates to our science and engineering. So for that particular picture, the kids were learning about viscosity and density. So they did build density columns and then learning about the different weights of different liquids, they then created this. That is so, that was so great. <laughs> I'm glad you got to see Nurse Susan out there too because <laughs> like, this so, I was, I'm trying to explain to you, I'm like, the picture that you bought at the coffee shop, it's her program. I love She's it. She's like, can you be a little, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> It makes me so so happy when I see my kids' artwork on display in a home from somebody who purchased it. It, Every time, it just makes me happy. Yeah. And proud. (laughs) Because I have the best kids. (laughs) It, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just, uh, that was a neat, a lot of, a lot of coincidences. (laughs) A lot of nice coincidences. Yeah. So, yeah, so you have, let's, let's uh, make sure we get um, all the information out that you sort of want to talk about. Um, regarding the group, give some shout outs and sort of who's doing what work and uh, yeah, give us the goods. Okay. Well, I would say starting a nonprofit, it's not the easiest business to get into. <laughs> um, but you also learn to be a little bit shameless when it comes to your asks, which you have to. I know for me, I had to, I was actually a naturally shy person, but I kind of had to step out of my comfort zone of being in a class with kids to to putting myself out there and spreading the word about For Youth and help gain supporters. Uh, so two shout outs that I have. Um, For Youth Productions wants to become a sustainable, self-sustainable nonprofit so that we're not always relying on grant funding. I would love to say that if by in the next six years we become 100% sustainable and for the public to help us and get directly involved with that, they can hire us to be event photographers. My kids are amazing, as you know, photographers, <laughs> and they do an excellent job with events. And we pay our students as well. So when it comes to event photography, they become employees of 4th Productions. And also, we lease, we're starting to lease student artwork to companies. So if a company wants to grace their walls with beautiful art, have it curated by a professional, and then updated every three to four months, they can sign a lease with us knowing that their le- art leasing will directly benefit kids from the city. 
So that's that's our, that's my two. My two like just things to put out into the universe. Oh, I love <laughs> <So>. it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just again. I said it before. I'm, I'm, because we do, and I think most of the we have two pieces in the kitchen that people look at a lot. Mm-hmm. But most of the people look at that stuff in the dining room. We get a lot of comments on it. Thank you so much for coming in. Oh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, we'll post everything. And um, like I said, I mean, obviously, I have a, an affinity for like introducing kids to sort of like art like that, but other higher concepts like just form and science and things like that. So I think it's it's really dope, and I'm I'm really happy that uh, that Eric have thought of it really quickly. Like I have a third one. Thank <laughs> nice. you so much. Thanks so much for coming. Oh, uh, thank you very much. It was nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. I hope to see you again. Yes. Nice. <laughs> thank you. So, JC Livingston. Yes, sir. It's a pleasure to have you here. Pleasure is mine. Honor. Um, before we get into it, and, and I only got a, a, a brief description because. I actually like some of your story just about sort of how you got into it as Erica was telling me I don't want to hear anymore like it was so good I wanted to wait until you told me um so but before you sort of get into it like where where are you from are you local are you from here yes I'm presently here in um Wilmington Delaware yeah located on Market Street now cool Market Street nice so how did you so so you your 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 work now is is uh, with with the homeless and with your nonprofit but before you got into the nonprofit stuff sort of how how did you get out in that community and how did that become sort of like your your issue and something that you decided you know enough is enough I'm going to step in and I'm going to try to do something Well to be honest Rob um in the beginning uh well <laughs> my father is a minister so I grew up um, pretty much in the church lifestyle. And as a kid, I was very observant, observant of everything that was happening. And, and I just, for me, it was never enough, just something that somebody would tell me, this is what you got to do. I always ask the reason, why? <laughs> so that took me to a point where um, I was questioning everything that had to do with the church. Um, after reading so many things, I said, well, we have the example here of what, you know, who Jesus was and all this, you know, why we're not doing it the way he's doing it? Everybody has a, like a church or a temple as a, some kind of a club, a Christian club. We should be in the streets like he was. Um, and as I grew up, you know, things started to change. I joined the Marine Corps and then um, came out of the Marine Corps after four years and I joined this company called Connections. I was definitely aware after that of the need that was in the streets when I started finding families in the woods you know, people that was actually getting um, consumed by the addiction. Um, I found bodies. That was definitely something that hit me hard. So I, I saw the need that it was actually great. And I didn't understand how the system is not doing more or doing better. Um, I believe it's been um, kind of set up just to actually make them dependent of the system and not really set them free and make, you know, have, make, allowing them to have a breakthrough to become independent. So um, I said, we can do better. And that's how basically how H4E started from, from that whole perspective. Yes, yeah, so it's Hope for Humanity. That's correct. H4H. And, yeah, when I think about um, homelessness and people are in the street, for whether it's addiction or mental health issues, 
or whatever it is, really. Um, that's like the first, when I think of the word humanity, that's like the first thing I think of this, like, how do we allow that? Like, it's like a demarcation line. It's almost like we shouldn't be allowing something like that. Like, there's no reason why we, that it should even be something that we're doing. Um, not to get too down on it, but <clears throat> Carl and I just had a big conversation about, uh, being depressed about the UK, the UK election results. And the guy who was the leader of the party who who lost, actually, one of the things he said in an interview, somebody just asked him like a throwaway question, like, "What was the one? If, you know, if you could be the prime minister, what would be one thing that if you could do in five years, you would feel like it was an accomplishment? If you had to pick one thing." And he said, uh, "Nobody's homeless." And it was profound because when you think about that, that that's like, it's such a basic. You know, we talk about. Medicare for everybody, and, and, and everybody should have it. But you take a step back, and you're like, what are we doing here? How are we leaving these people in this situation? It's not right. So how, how did you go from your connections work to the nonprofit work? Um, when did you decide to sort of step up and to sort of take that personal responsibility? And then what kind of services and what kind of things are you, uh, are you providing? Well... As a case manager that I was in Connections, I noticed that everything was basically more like a routine. You know, the, the client comes in, uh, they get their meds, and they just sit down through the, you know, through the whole day um, and then return back to their rooms. That's what it was. So there wasn't no interaction. There was no engage uh, as it should be. Um, these individuals apparently are having so much in their minds and these things they want to express but nobody's really there to listen to them because of course they've been already marked as probably people that are mental or you know um they're you know they've been placed on some kind of statistics where they just have no hope and um it took me to actually get into that um field and, I, and there's a lot of people actually you know has the same heart as well but um my the way my the way I introduce I introduced myself was always asking for someone's story, and um, always curious to see how the individual end up in there. You know how how do you how do you end up in this position where now you are basically trapped in the system? You know, trapped in the um, routine of every day waking up, getting your meds, shutting down, going back to your room. You know, like, do you have any desires? Do you do you have any any goals in your life? What would you like to be? What would you like to do? Would you like to change the the course of your day? Um, and these questions started happening when I started actually talking to these clients. They had dreams, they had desires, they had you know aspirations, and it was crazy because just telling me how they felt and what they wanted to do would create breakthroughs. You know, you they, they, you see them breaking down in tears. They, they start talking about the issues they had in the past with their families, um, little in incidents where probably some of them lo um, lost their their mother. Uh, she probably died and they shut down. Uh, people that lost their businesses, um, as simple as losing their jobs, you know. Um, and all these things actually connect to the emotional part of the individual, where they just want a contact from a human, you know, what I'm saying from heart to heart. And, and and people will be lacking of that because people just don't know how to communicate nowadays and just be human, you know. Um, H4H started when we started, uh, I started doing the coffee and donuts in Rodney Square. 
at that time, there was a belief that, you know, the appearance of the homelessness in the city was kind of a, making the city look a little degraded. So they were trying to remove all the homeless out of the city of Wilmington. And with that thing, they started their whole program called PATH. So PATH will basically go into the woods, go into the streets, and find all the homelessness and put them inside of an organization. For example, at this time was, um, I don't know if you ever heard of them. Um, what's the name? And that's the only connections. It was uh, <laughs> um, RVRC, I'm sorry. Uh, Rick Van Story. Yes, yeah. Rick Van Story. And they shut down, you know, um, there was a scandal about that, but... We've talked about that. Correct. So we were actually hitting them. They were putting them over there just to get them out of the streets. And I was like, wow, so this is the goal. Well, how about we just, okay, we get them out of the streets, but let's give them something to go somewhere. And it, that was not the case. The case was just to get all the numbers, you know, and show that we actually helped them out by getting them out of the streets and then send them back to the streets. I was like, okay, that's that's it just don't make no sense. We have all the resources. We have the finances. Why are we doing more? You know, if these individuals are considered to be homeless, you know, what are we doing to make sure they can find a place where they can grow? Reconnect them with their family. Um, have somewhere where, you know, if they are in addictions, um, have a kind of a, a support group, you know. Um, and none of this was happening. Everybody was just kind of a complacent in the fact that, you know, they were feeding them and dressing them and giving them meds. We did a part. So you just sort of went out into Rodney Square, um, started talking to people. Pretty much. Actually, I mean, just, just what was your, what was one of your openers? You just bring a cup of coffee to somebody and be like, "Hey, oh yes, how you doing?" So I would go to Dunkin' Donuts and I told him about my vision, and Dunkin' Donuts and um, Krispy Kreme loved the vision, so they donated. Literally, gave me like four or five, sometimes six boxes of donuts and coffee. I would set up a table right at Ronnie Square, right by the horse. Um, and I was just staying there. And everybody, when I seen people that were homeless, hey man, you want some free coffee and donut? And it was like, what? Is it hot? Yes. With cream, please. So <laughs> I was like, okay. So I was like, listen, um, here's a free coffee and a free donut, I hear you, but I would like to just know, what is your story? And then people would look at me crazy like, what? I said, yeah, what is your story? How do you end up here? And they thought it was some kind of a like you know like a game you know yeah. people don't trust you no more. That's that's why I'm so uh, interested in that because because of the way that folks are treated, exactly stigmatized, forgotten about all that, uh, and because like you know the way the street is, it's very hard to find humanity in people, and so to be able to do it is almost a miracle. And so that's why I'm so like, how did you break that? They didn't, they didn't buy it. They thought they were getting hustled. Because again, that's also how like, I was going to say the Scientologists, but they'll probably sue me. Uh, that's how they, you know, that's how they sometimes get it. But when you, so you were able to sort of break through that and actually get them kind of. Do it with uh, humility and actually uh, consistency. Um, some of them would not open up the first time, but I'll say, don't worry, I'll be here next Saturday. And if you, you know, want to talk, I'll be here. And I had to be punctual. I had to be there. So you'll see them come back for that coffee and that donut. And then they would just basically say, like, their name, which is something they didn't release in the beginning. And after their name, you come back again. And they just start, hey, how you doing? How was your day? And it's like, oh, man. And so they start talking. And eventually they tell you everything that they went through. And with that story, we have, now we have a plan in order to assist them. Um, 
And I did that for almost three months. And um, what it turned into probably six to seven homeless individuals turned into uh, eventually 50 to 60. And it was just crazy because now everybody was just gathering in Rhonda Square. Word got out. <laughs> yes. JC's up there, man. He's going. <laughs> to the point that even the cops, everybody, the downtown vision, they, they knew who I was and they knew what was happening. The first time was they looked like I was like a riot going on. And I was like, no, 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 this is what we're doing. So they started supporting me as well. Eventually, you had people like, you know, uh, you had somebody that was homeless and they were creating some type of uh, disorder. In the, in the street, and they will call me, yo, JC, come, 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 handle this, man. And I will come and basically uh, speak to the person, and everything will be resolved. Nevertheless, I wanted to do more, so this is when it became a little crazy. <laughs> I like that. That's the bunker mindset. We all get a little nuts. Oh man! So the rainy nights is the worst nights for the homeless, I believe. So there was a lot of uh companies now that are out there that in order to help you, you need to qualify to receive this help or shelter you. So um, I saw the need and a uh, few of them that basically were regulars into the whole movement that I started, um, they were actually caught up in the park in the middle of the rain or they will go behind a building with this camera just for security reasons. And what I did that night, I just took my, my, my Jeep and I started to pick him up. <laughs> I picked them up and took them to my house. I set up eight beds in the basement and had them there sleep. Um, and just to give them the essence of what home is, and giving a good reminder of what that was. And believe it or not, it actually worked. They woke up in the morning. They were still shocked for what was happening. Like, is this some kind of setup? Like, you know, are, are you going to use me for paperwork? And it was none of that. It was just me giving the access to a home, you understand, just so we can talk and interact as people. And there was one of these young ladies there that was actually homeless as well, and she said she knew how to cook. I was telling Erica this story. And I was like, yeah, you know how to cook? Well, there's a lot of food in the refrigerator. Go ahead, feel free. And she will go in the kitchen, and she started doing the eggs, she started doing the pancakes. You will see everybody coming up like, oh, that smells good. So everything started to turn into like a little family, believe it or not. And uh, now we're all eating on the table. We're all talking, introducing each other, telling our stories. And at this table now, so many stories that actually break my heart, you know, broke my heart at that time. And uh, people were just venting, just venting. Uh, this one man actually witnessed his daughter's suicide, and he shut down. You know, he, 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 he could not get better he could not just couldn't see himself past that reality that he witnessed so he started drinking and the drinking got you know made him lose his job and in losing his job he just shut down from the family he lost his wife in the process end up in the streets that was his story you know and um literally he walked all the way to um battery no canby park to die that's where i found him starving just to die. He was laying down on a bench. We called the ambulance. The ambulance actually picked him up from there, from the park. He was dehydrated. It was just destroyed. He was there just to die naturally. And uh, the guy from the ambulance told me, if you wouldn't got, if you would left this guy two more days here, this is where basically he would have died. You know, so um, we had a lot of different stories where that home, my home at that time, triggered something in them, you know. Um, the comfortability where there was not something was not to utilize them or, or 
or nothing. It was just like a, a place where they can come, sleep, eat, and talk. I met this guy, of course, he was a guitarist. I had like guitars because I'm a musician. And he just grabbed the guitar and he just started playing and he's crying because he used to actually sing for his wife. And, uh, and he told us the story, you know, how basically he used to be a musician and, you know, he lost his job, you know, and he ended up being in the streets. Simple story like that. But at the same time now, we had everybody like, singing and they were laughing. Everybody was just interacting with this guy playing the guitar. And I saw the big picture there. I had to stop and just admire the picture that these individuals have been in the streets for so long, they have forgotten what home feels like. And you know what? Not even people that are homeless, people that ha they have their houses now, they have forgotten what home really is. You understand? And when I was able to see that picture, I stopped calling home, hope for the homeless and I started hope for humanity. Because in the beginning, that's what it was. And I, and I was like, wow, no, 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 no. These people are not homeless. These are human beings. You understand? We're dealing with hearts. We're dealing with minds. We're, we're dealing with individuals that have desires. They want to be married again. They want to have a job. They want, they want to have their own homes. They want to get back their children. These are people. And, and automatically you have that sense of value for, for these people. You understand? And once you have that sense of value, now it becomes your responsibility to hold their hands to the whole mission and make sure they achieve their goals. And that's what we did. So within three months, these people started reconnecting with their family, and there was a change automatically. People will come. Um, this guy's wife came. The breakthrough was amazing. It was in tears, you know, telling him I'm proud of you, you know. And they would come and thank me. I said, no, no, he's doing everything. You understand? This is just a place. You know, he's doing everything. And within two or three weeks, they will take him back. He was home. And we all, all celebrated at the house. Like, oh, my God, well, we're going to miss him. And he will come back, visit us. You know, he's saying that he misses us, call us. Um, and this is what we built at this home. Um, and within, like I said, within about three to six months, everyone that was at that place went back home. Marriages were restored. Um, now we have uh, all these individuals without working, back into the workforce, aspiring, you know, uh, living life, you know, maintaining. And, and that's, that was the goal. That was the goal. So when I saw this and it was, we was able to achieve it, I said, why can't we do it in a bigger, you know, in a bigger way? Uh, how, why we can't do it? And so I said, okay, you know, we're going to take this to another level. So we started looking for opportunities where people can either not, not donate, but at least give us a good price for properties. And uh, I met this guy. He was a homeowner. He was renting uh, individual uh, apartments and houses. His name is Julio Rivera. And I shared a vision with him. I said, trust me, we, we can ensure you that, you know, you're going to get your money for your property. He said, no, 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 no. I, I like it. I want to help. And so he offered one of his buildings. He had five bedrooms. Beautiful home uh, located in Lincoln Street. And um, we put eight people in there um, because one was a couple and because there was already like an hospital family in there. Yeah. So for three months, I helped them out how to uh, budget money, you know, um, how to make sure that all the bills were paid, how to use the computer. Um, all those three months, I, I just basically educated them on how to just take care of the house 
Today, the house has been running by itself for two years with the individuals there. Not only this is happening, but now when someone actually gets their own place, now they have an extra room for someone else. So we actually fulfill what we stand for, which is we advocate, we give hope, and we empower lives so they can empower others. Man, that's uh, so inspiring. Because I I frame these issues a lot of times the exact, like you, you broke the spell, like you cracked the code. Because <clears throat> when you were talking about uh, when the first sort of wave of folks that you sort of you brought in from the street, they thought, oh, you're trying to qualify for something or you're playing some kind of scam because they're used to being treated like, yeah, like, do you qualify? Are you means tested? What's your story? Because that's like a problem we have to manage. We have to manage this problem so that people aren't like uh, inconvenienced. But the pro the, those are people. Like it's the, the point of the idea of thinking about humanity is exactly right. Means tested or people, you don't qualify to be a person. You just are a person. There's no, there's no test. You just are one. That's it. And I think that very few people look at, I think the system is designed to look at marginalized people as like a just a, a, a large issue to be managed in a academic, administrative, means-tested way, and it's bullshit. And the trick is to see the humanity in people. That's right. And you bro, you 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 figure just from from talking to people, you you like that's what I think. You figured it out. This is amazing. I hope by talking to people, I figure it out too. That's what I'm trying to do here. You're <laughs> same, doing it. Same thing. You're doing it. Been, you know, you're doing it. You're uh, you're you're doing it in a in a in a context that's just so important if we're gonna go on. Because you can't go on the way that it is. That's right, man. I really appreciate you coming in. Thank you for um, having me. So give the let's give. I mean, we're gonna link to all the information. Um, I don't know if you have like uh, any social media, any Twitter, any um, websites that you have. I know um, Erica sent some of the stuff to us already, um, and I forwarded on. So we'll make sure we, we you know, we get all of that um, cover for you. All right. So um, right now we are building our, our website. Uh, it will be on the H4H, uh, which is Hope for Humanity Delaware. Um, for now, we have Instagram as well, which is H4H Delaware. You can find it there. We just opened it up, a new one. Um, email is H4HDLAWARE at gmail.com. Uh, phone number is 609-892-2246. And the reason why is this number is because now someone actually saw the movement that we had here in Delaware and now they extended the same passion and the same movement to South Jersey, so it's amazing. And uh, and one of the one of the before I let you go on this is that I really don't see myself as an organization or a company. You know, it's 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 literally a, we're more like a symbol. You know, it's it's a movement of inspiration. You know, to remind us that we are human and and, and I am Delaware's. And if you inspire somebody else to to become better then you are H4H. You are H4H because it's not 
a building. It's not a not even the name itself, but it's just the inspiration that we cause from heart to heart. And that's what H4H is. Man, that's inspiring stuff. I love it. Thank you so much for coming in. Um, when I heard like the first two sentences of it, when Erica was telling me, I was just like, yes, this is my thing. But um, I, I hope uh, people look into it. And I hope really there's such a profound lesson to be learned. Um, I hope people start to start to learn it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Always, always, always save the best for last. That's how we do it. All right, let's breathe. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, ladies and gentlemen and comrades of all sorts, uh, the the uh, producer of tonight's episode, uh, the legend, Eric Gutierrez. You're a legend. <laughs> you know you're a legend. No, I told you what happened tonight. When I, I told these, you know, it was just a coincidence. We had the phone bank here tonight and everything going on. And I said, oh, it's going to be great. We're doing a podcast. Uh, it was it was Erica's uh, thing that she produced with us. Is Erica going to be there? Like, yes. <laughs> oh, my God, Erica's going to be there. Because everybody loves it. That's nice. Well, that's, uh, that's awesome. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming in again and for uh, producing this basically for us. Um, like I said, I <clears throat> I sort of told the story about us connecting it to just kickoff um, and just having this moment like, yeah, we need to do, you know, uh, uh, something for the new year, you know, organizing highlight extravaganza. So I'm <laughs> glad that we, we were doing it. Um, but yours is actually really special, too. Uh, you were putting uh, a group of folks through sort of a... a organizer training mm -hmm. um and sort of just community awareness and community organizing um how uh what was the what was how did this idea sort of start and what are you doing well first of all thanks for having me back and also for um co-creating this this space because it's magical when we start like just realizing that we are all connected in everything that we do and then when we come together, we just realize that we make sense without ever knowing and finding about the painting and then learning about, you know, what humanity means. <laughs> it's from talking and finding the, the deeper meaning without judging. And um, but the work that I do comes exactly from that, from the past year that I um, started organizing and I had to assess you know, to create leadership, which was my goal, which was what I was asked for, and, and that's what we need, actually. Um, within the Latino community, nobody has been able to do that, in, like in any major scale, actually at scale at all in advocacy. So um, I had to step back and really understand, understand what happens in the community. What happens in organizations? What happens in the mindset of everybody? Why people get involved or not? And at what scale? And what are the interests? And what are the motives? And what is going on in everybody's lives? And it was, you know, first of all, it's, it's an introspection, right? Because in order to understand others, you have to understand what is going on through your mind. So you clear yourself and then open to see what's on the other shoes. 
And we are people with different backgrounds. Latinos come from all kinds of countries with different um, accents, with different cultures, but at the same time with the same um, lack of resources and lack of education. And we are totally disconnected. We do general things like everybody, um, like for example, here in Wilmington, everybody works. Every culture works, right? But we don't discuss about it or we complain about work, but we don't really get the good things about it and the skills that we learn and how we learn so many things that um, open spaces for us at a different job that feels more fulfilled, etc. So um, in order for me to, to start understanding where leadership could start, I started understanding people and really connecting with them and, and being there for them as a person without any agenda. I said, I want you to learn. I want you to, to look into what I am learning and doing and what it feels like. Make them aware of our community needs and what are the possibilities. And, and this, uh, honestly, uh, when I was studying, there, were a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of skepticism from people. What is that? Yeah, like, okay, so what is this leadership? Leadership is going to come with, like, et cetera. And uh, so they were sort of as skeptical as, they, as like, the folks that were coming up to JC and the, the thing, like, what's, what's, what is this? What's going yes. on here? Yes, and there was um, lack of credibility because it's hard for people to, to believe that things can transform from, from the heart, from love, from kindness. And that is exactly what we need to do anything and co-create anything at all, starting by politics, especially politics. So if we don't create the right leadership from kindness, from the heart, from fairness, from justice, what kind of politicians and leaders are we building? So that's when we start, when we talk to people, we start by helping them understand, first of all, understanding the story, learning from them and, and connecting and them understanding that we are on this together, um, they then feel the space to, to say, all right, tell me, tell me about what you're doing. I would really like to learn. And then the challenge was not easy because I asked them, you know, when I started recruiting, I said, we're going to do this workshop in Dover. So we have, so everybody has access to it from the south, from the north, from the middle of Delaware. And we have uh, many applications. As soon as they were learning, it was in Dover. Some of them say, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to drive all the way there. But, you know, like I make sure that everybody understood that it was a commitment. It's a commitment to yourself, to your community. This is what it means when you step into leadership and learning what you can do in education. You have to understand who are you doing this for. It's not for me. It's not even for you. It's, it's for the generations that are coming up, for what we can create together. And um, it's just the beginning. So so are you, um, you're recruiting folks who you're doing uh, work with in the community. Um, are they, you know, how, how, did, how, did, how was the process of coming, coming together with the group of people that you have? How many, how many people are going through the workshop? Well, the, the end result, the, the end group was 17, 17 that they participated, but it was like a range from 44 people. Yeah. Um, and because of the different, like the applications were about 44, and and then when they found about the location or the commitment, etc., um, it went down to 17. The list that were yeah. uh, starting the, the program. 
But it was beautiful because actually a few people from the ones that I built the connection were the were the ones that um, started with it. And I reached out to a local Latino newspaper, O in Delaware. They always support me for the community and they're very responsible and engaged. Um, and we did a little interview where I talked to people just like this and said, look, we ask for resources. We ask for respect. We want people to understand where we come from. We, we want those spaces. We want to better our community. This is our chance. So step in and learn what you have to learn. And, and let's work together on the changes that we want. So what is the what's the name of the workshop and what are the programs like sort of what are the what's the syllabus and um, you know how how long are the modules and sort of what what are the nuts and bolts of it? Well, uh, the the program is called Juntos Delaware Fellowship, and it is um, based on education advocacy for Latinos, and I use the program that um, Delaware can has already that we implement for for the youth and for other adults in the state. But I adapted it for Latinos where I included um, a basic component of identity. In order for us to, to start leadership, we gotta know who we are and where we come from. Like know, know where we come from, from any country. Like actually, what are we made up? What is our mindset coming from? Those ideas are coming from our grandma, from the teachers, from the TV, like really question those things and then coming together from um, unity. There are many many Latin American countries um, here and many of the participants were from all kinds of countries. So um, to start understanding that we are people, that we have the same needs, that we need to collaborate, we have to put our country aside, whatever it is. We are in Delaware, this is our home. And we are Latinos, but yes, we are here and, and we have to understand our community and be people and be friends and be collaborators and be advocates. So um, the rules of respect, kindness, uh, encouragement, and I was there totally honest with them. Um, and then they said the rules. One of them was like, if I don't know enough English, could I speak in Spanish? And that was kind of a beautiful idea because they try to speak Spanish, English, but when they kind of, you know, like what happens to me, you know, I lose the word and the thinking and then Spanish jumped in and I was there learning, you know, knowing the two language, languages so we could connect the idea that they wanted to learn and they developed such a confidence. Um, the program was actually 10 weeks, every Tuesday in Dover from 6 to 8.30 and we have different topics from identity, social movements, and then we talk about school governance, how the, um, how the um, officials, how officials work, how to talk to um, elected officials, um, how to understand our issues, how to frame them, how to pitch them. And um, but most important is like how to break th with, um, through our barriers to be able to be that person that carries the message. And that wasn't easy, but um, the group built this um, togetherness that allowed them to, you know, when they started, they were like, shut down and see what's going to happen, you know, looking at each other. But as the time went by, um, we had these advocates talking to lawmakers uh, saying, well, this is the experience of my niece. This happens in the school and I want these changes. And I just wish that we have these resources and, 
And I want you to tell me, how can that happen? How can I help? And that was beautiful because he came from community members that never did advocacy. So if we can do that in 10 weeks, what can we do in a year? <laughs> Folks, well, the way I want to frame this is that Erica Gutierrez is training uh, an, an army of Latino organizers and advocates. And in a year's time, imagine what it's going to do. So 17 folks in 10 weeks. So everybody committed to two and a half hours a week for 10 weeks. Uh, and, you, and you got 17 people fellowship. Yes. That. And you have organizers all over the state. I yes. love it. Yes, and there is one component that is beautiful. You know, because in this training, they didn't just learn advocacy. They learn um, professional skills as well. So one of them already got a job in an organization with the right mindset is required and actually people need to be advocates to to understand families and help them so there is a job and there is another one that is on the way and it's beautiful because it allows me to talk to the people that request do you know anybody that can help us and i said of course but you get in an advocate so you make sure that you treat them well that you uh, respect their skills that um that you train them properly so you get the results that you need yeah, and I will uh, let everyone know that when Erica tells you to do something, you better well damn do it. <laughs> everyone knows that. <laughs> oh, man, I just had such a nice night tonight. Yes, it was very special. I'm really glad that you are doing this yeah, this work. I'm, I mean, I'm glad you're doing the work. <laughs> Thank this you. This is so fun. I'm glad we could put this together. My I pleasure. mean, we've had, we've, had, uh, we've had a lot of VIPs. I mean, obviously, you're here. You're the top. VIP. Oh, stop it. Uh, Jess Grain did make an appearance uh, here. I was able to speak with her briefly. She's as busy as probably four people. Yes. Uh, Super producer Carl is here. He's a VIP. Because if it wasn't for him, none of this would ever get on the internet. Thank you. And also, just walking into the fucking bunker <laughs> with a beautiful Kobe Owens Democrat for the 1st District <laughs> City Council t-shirt... Did I get a t-shirt? No. And when I said I wanted a t-shirt, what did he say to me? What's the worst thing he could say to me? He said, you know, Josh got a t-shirt. And I was like, get the hell out of here. I should have kicked you out when you said that. So so uh, uh, City Council District 1 candidate uh, and friend of show Kobe Owens has, has wandered in. We have some business to discuss uh, with, this, with, that, with that big boy over there. <laughs> Uh, but we'll keep that till the end. <laughs> well, so you're uh, just to wrap up, like, so you're recruiting basically folks who might have an interest in sort of this kind of training and this kind of involvement. It's a huge commitment. Um, but you're always basically recruiting and saying, "Hey, this is something we're going to do. Why don't you think how, how many people do you think you could do? I mean, you did seventeen. That's a lot. I mean. Is the next class going to be bigger? <laughs> I don't know. Well, um, in, in education advocacy, we are planning to do two more cohorts in the next year. But, you know, I keep always connecting people and, and trying of educating on the go and building advocacy on the go with elected officials, with um, officials already like Kobe knows that. <laughs> <laughs> this, you know, I just love to be part of this bigger um, concept ambition for ourselves in Delaware. And I don't think that recruitment will ever stop. 
because we have a mission 2020 is coming and everything is on the table and full hands full heart full communication needs to be everywhere so um every time is an opportunity for a training every time is an opportunity for advocacy and every time it's opportunity it's an opportunity to 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 share kindness and resources and and keep help people growing to see beyond so i record all the time are you ready for a training <laughs> i don't know i don't think so actually <laughs> that's intense <laughs> probably not oh Erica, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's so it's great. Usual. Folks, um, this is, has been the, the Erica Gutierrez uh, Organizing Highlight Spectacular. I'm glad you, uh, you listened. It was a, really a fun night here uh, all throughout the bunker. I'm glad everybody um, was in and uh, did great work uh, up and down the scene. I tried to organize. I mean, there was you know, 15, 20 activists and organizers here. I was trying to organize them in the war on Christmas, because I'm going to war against Christmas. I've decided I'm going to re... I thought we had won the war and we had defeated Christmas, but apparently have not defeated Christmas. So uh, I'm going back to war against Christmas. I, I, I have no problem with Christmas, actually. It's fine. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff coming this new year. Uh, I will tell you that I looked up today. Uh, we're going to be doing a, a, a New Year's... Uh, letter drive to Chelsea Manning in prison. Uh, that's going to be my, my new uh, sort of pet project. Now that Lula is out, we have to pick another political prisoner. And there's many and many and many, but let's do one here and get and get uh, Chelsea Manning out. Have the address, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep her spirits up as um, as she sits as one of America's political prisoners. Um, Everyone, consider a patronage. It's uh, www.patreon.com backslash the Highlands Bunker. We're at the uh, Highlands Bunker on Twitter. We're on iTunes. Give us a patronage, folks. We're keeping up this work. Give us some support. Eric is out there training cohorts to advocate all over the state. Yes. Kobe's going to be on the city council. Jess is going to be in the U.S. Senate. Yes. And you know why? Because humanity is great and left is best. Cheers, everybody.